views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence if investing. The show is pre-recorded. Everyday Wealth is produced and created by Edelman Financial Engines and hosted by Gene Chatsky. Ms. Chatsky is not an employee or client of the firm. She receives fixed cash compensation as host and for related activities, and therefore has an incentive to endorse Edelman Financial Engines and its planners. For additional information, please see www.edelmanfinancialengines.com slash everydaywealth. The 2022 Top 100 Independent Advisory Firm ranking issued by Barron's is qualitative and quantitative, including assets managed by the firm, technology spending, staff diversity, succession planning, and other metrics. Firms elect to participate but do not pay to be included in the ranking. Compensation is paid for use and distribution of rating. Awarded September 2022 based on data within a 12-month period. Investor experience and returns are not considered. At the intersection of life and money, this is Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with personal finance expert, Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. Now, here's Gene Chatsky. Hey, I'm Gene Chatsky. Welcome to Everyday Wealth. When I say the words economic security or social security, what do you think of? Where do you think that came from? I know that People are raising their hands and saying, I know, I know, FDR started Social Security. And you're right. He started Social Security in its modern iteration. But when we think about societies supporting their people, there's actually a really long history. In medieval Europe, for example, the basis of economic security was the feudal system. For feudal lords, it was the steady supply of labor by serfs and vice versa. For serfs, it was the ability to provide that labor for which they got the food and the shelter for their basic needs. As societies grew in complexity, places in Europe, cities and villages, they saw formal organizations develop. And the purpose of these were to provide economic security to their members. These were the the guilds formed in the Middle Ages by merchants and craftsmen, basically the precursor of our unions. People with common trades or businesses banded together into mutual aid societies that regulated production and employment and provided a range of benefits to their members. From the guilds around the 16th century came the so-called friendly society and from those fraternal organizations, some of which still exist today, the Freemasons, the Elks, the Odd Fellows, and others. Eventually, though, the government began to take on more of a role for providing the economic security for its citizens. England stepped into the game by developing a series of what were called poor laws to help provide for the welfare of those people who were poor, who could not provide it for themselves. And that basic structure is what the pilgrims brought over to America. The problem was, as colonial America grew more complex and diverse and mobile, those poor laws really couldn't support the growing country. And that, that, my friends, is when Thomas Paine stepped in and first proposed the idea of retirement. And yes, that Thomas Paine, the same one that Angelica Schuyler referred to when she pulled that paperback out of her pocket and wrapped in Hamilton that she'd been reading Common Sense by Thomas Paine. I could do the whole song for you, but I won't. But Paine 
proposed what was at the time a really controversial idea calling for the creation of a public system of economic security that the country could use to guard against poverty in old age. Then came the Civil War, and that brought hundreds of thousands of widows and orphans and led to the development of a pension program in the country. But it really took the stock market crash of 1929 and the Great Depression for radical calls to action to protect the American people. On August 14, 1935, Franklin D. Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, signed into law the Social Security Act providing for the general welfare of Americans and a social insurance program designed to pay retired workers age 65 or older a form of continuing income in retirement. Of course, today, Social Security still provides for people who don't have much else in the way of retirement income. But for many of us, it's come to represent another income stream, a supplemental income stream that you are entitled to. You've worked hard, you've paid your fair share into the system, and you want to get as much as possible of what's coming to you. And so that's what we're going to talk about the rest of the show. We are going to focus on how you can get the most from Social Security and how you can maximize your benefits. For that, I am going to bring on Andy Smith. He is an experienced financial planner with Edelman Financial Engines. And later in the show, I'll be talking to Social Security expert Marsha Mantel. Andy, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Always good to see you. Let's just start with the basics. When can you claim Social Security? Uh, so, uh, f- very first thing I want to say, this is a big difference between can you claim and should you claim. So, just from raw ages, you can claim as early as age 62. If you wait, you can claim a lot more. So, the big three ages that we're going to be talking about uh, kind of here and just going forward, it's 62 It's full retirement age, uh, 66, 67 right now, and then age 70. You get the biggest benefit if you are able to wait until age 70. And I've heard the math described as an 8% bump in benefits approximately, approximately for every year you wait between age 62 and age 70. So who should claim at 62? Uh, It has to do with health and it has to do with how much money you got. You know, if you have no retirement savings, if you are going to be completely dependent on SSA, Social Security Administration, for just walking around money and, you know, buying a pack of hot dogs each week, yes, you should probably claim at 62. Uh, Health-wise, I mean, if you've got one foot in the grave and things don't look good, um, you probably want to think about accelerating your Social Security benefits. And it has to do with life expectancy, and it has to do with basically how long you think you're going to be able to live to be able to claim different types of benefits. A couple of different ages that I work with clients on, you know, if you think that you are not going to live past age 77, you should probably consider claiming at 62. It's a break-even age. Basically, how long do you have to live before the benefit, the weight in benefits 
kind of um, inures to your success rather than the Fed's. So if health is a big issue, if you don't think that you're going to be able to live past 77, yeah, claim early. For everybody else, I usually try to, you know, strongly suggest that they wait until at least full retirement age, if not age seven. And and what's the break even age on full retirement age or, or age 70? How long do you have to live to make waiting for that bigger benefit worthwhile? Yep. So 81, if you think that you're going to be able to, you know, get to at least 81, but it's kind of a question mark after that, then, um, you know, wait until full retirement age. Um, and again, 66, 67, if you do expect to live past 81, you know, if you're going on walks and taking vitamins and you're just the, the picture of, of fitness, then we start looking at different scenarios where what does the economics look like? if you're able to wait until age 70. So again, 77 and before, hey, if you're not going to make it to 77, strongly consider claiming at 62. 81 is the next break point. If you can get to 81, it's kind of a question mark after that. Probably wait until full retirement age. But if you're just fit as a fiddle and 81 is no issue at all, then we try to look at age 70. Look, I I love having you here because I can always count on you to tell it to me straighter than I ever wanted to hear it. (laughs) You know, I I don't think I've ever uttered the phrase one foot in the grave on any podcast before, but I just did it. How how do you know, though? Like, let's say you're, you're in pretty good health. Is it safe to look at previous generations of your family and think, yeah, well, my grandfather kicked it at this age, maybe I'll kick it at that age too? Or has longevity improved so much that that's no longer safe? You know, I think it, it, the, the two most magical words in the English language are it depends. So it depends, right? Um, we look at health, we look at lifestyle, we look at other factors. Longevity, family history is a huge piece. But, and we saw this last year just with our own family, I mean, you can have zero family history of anything and all of a sudden you have some pretty huge issues that you're facing. So what I try to do is just look at different scenarios, build different kind of what if models into the financial plans that I'm showing people. And so we can look at, hey, this is what happens if you claim at 62. This is what happens if you claim at full retirement age. This is what happens if you claim at age 70. And so we're able to kind of optimize what that run out looks like. And then obviously we bring in, okay, what happens if you, you know, you leave us at a certain age. We're able to kind of pick different ending ages within the cash flow plan so that you have a really good sense of what happens if you claim early or quote unquote too early. And then what happens flexibility-wise if you are able to wait until full retirement age or then age 70? I want to dig into those numbers a little more deeply. I also want to talk about the fact that Social Security is one of those rare financial benefits that actually comes with a cost of living adjustment. Very important as we're talking about the inflation that's been plaguing our economy the past couple of years. But we're going to take a very quick break. Andy will stick with me. We'll dig into these numbers when we get back. You are listening to Everyday Wealth. Stay with us. Are you worried about the current volatility of the market, inflation rates, talk of a recession? Are you second-guessing your investment decisions? What better time than now to ensure your finances are moving forward than by getting an expert second opinion from an Edelman Financial Engines planner? Whether you already have a planner or simply need a new perspective, 
they can help you manage your wealth plan to both weather the volatility of the market today and help you protect and preserve it over the long term. To schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today, call 833-PLAN-EFE. That's 833-752-6333. Or visit their website at efewealthplanners.com. Put your uncertainties to rest once and for all. Schedule your complimentary wealth checkup right now. Thanks for sticking with us. Andy Smith, a financial planner from Edelman Financial Engines, and I are talking about Social Security and how you can get as much money from it as absolutely possible. Andy, you were dancing around some numbers for me that had to do with various ages. Can you dig in? Sure. So the big number is 62. You can claim as early as age 62. For every year that you wait past 62, you get an additional roughly 8% in increased benefits all the way through up till age 70. So you can claim as early as 62. Full retirement age is around 66, 67. That's when there's no reduction in benefits um, based on if you're working above and earning above a certain number. So 62, 66, 67, and 70 are those kind of three magical ages for a lot of people when it comes to social security benefits. Okay. When we look at social security, it's an annuity, right? And it's annuity that you're going to get the rest of your life. It happens to have a cost of living increase built in. And this year we saw a big bump because inflation has been roaring ahead faster than we've seen it in in quite some time. How important is that COLA factor when you're trying to consider what age you want to claim? Well, I think it's pretty important. I mean, this year there was an 8.7% cost of living adjustment to payments. So what that means is this COLA cost of living adjustment brought the average social security benefit up to $1,827 per month. Now that's the average. Okay. For a lot of, you know, for many of our clients, at Edelman Financial Engines, they're probably going to have a higher benefit because they're higher earners and typically are able to wait to claim Social Security in order to get that maximum benefit. So what we try to do is look at the benefits, the you know cost-benefit analysis of claiming at different ages. And I want to share with you kind of what that cumulative maximum benefit could be mm-hmm. at each of those claiming ages. All right, so this example assumes a couple of different things. Um, At least one of a couple lives to the age of 90. It assumes that you were born in 1960 and earned the maximum wage base each year of 147,000. That was last year. Okay. Right. Um, right. And let me just stop you for a second. And just to make sure that people understand how this works, right? Social security, it takes into account your 35 highest earning years. And so you're basically saying that, that this person was at the top of those ranks for those years that they were in the workforce. That's correct. So there's that 35 year, the 35 highest paying years. If you've got bigger numbers at the end of the career, they actually kind of push off the earlier kind of paper route and, you know, you know, early desk jobs that you have for that. So, and then the also, the, the assumption assumes cost of living adjustments. So here's the difference between 62, full retirement age, and 70. If you claimed at 62, 
you would get $2,348 per month. By age 90, your total benefit would be $1.16 million. So you just That's added 62. up all my monthly payments, right? Yeah, exactly. So $2,348 per month times 12 times how long you're living. Okay. If you claimed at full retirement age, 67, you'd get 3354 so 3,354 per month. So right there, you're getting more than at 62. Like $1,000 a month more than 62, right? I mean, like that's huge. It is huge. And so it doesn't seem like much when you're working and, you know, you're trying to pay for everything. But then once, you know, kind of the payroll income stops, that $1,000, $1,006 a month, you start to kind of do the math and it really starts to add up to the tune of $1.44 million. All right. So at 62, total benefits, $1.16 million. At 67, $1.44 million. Now, if you are able to wait until age 70, okay, you would get the maximum monthly benefit of $4,159 per month. So you get more per month. Their total benefit would be $1.62 million. So you can see the difference. You can claim as early as 62. Total lifetime benefits in this example would be $1.16 million. If you wait until age 70, your total lifetime benefits in this example would be $1.62 million. So there, is some, there are some pretty sizable differences here if you are able to wait and if it makes sense within your overall financial plan. Well, sizable, half a million dollars, <laughs> right? I, yeah. I mean, a half million dollars between 62 and 70 and even between full retirement age and 70, you know, 67 and 70, we're talking about $200,000. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And and I want to say again, this is a hypothetical calculation. Everybody's situation is different. This is where I spend a lot of my time in the planning process, trying to look at different hypothetical situations for claiming strategies. Your actual benefit is going to vary. This is an example, and it depends on your primary insurance amount or PIA. Your PIA is based on your earnings, years worked, your age. It's different for everybody. So when we talk about your kind of financial plan, what these different scenarios look like if you retire at different ages, yes, you get Social Security, but your Social Security could be drastically different depending upon when you decide to activate these benefits. All right, let's make the picture even more confusing and talk about, yeah. you know, because why not? Let's talk about spousal <laughs> benefits, right? Love it, and, and, yes. And this is, I mean, this is the thing about Social Security. Like when I claim Social Security, my financial advisor has the calculator that looks at me, looks at my spouse, looks at the difference in our ages, looks at the difference in our earnings and says, this is the optimal claiming strategy for you. It's it's very hard to do that without a planner who has the software because there are literally thousands of permutations. So spousal benefits, big permutation. How do they work? So here's the, here's the deal on spousal benefits. Spouses are eligible to receive benefits starting at age 62 based on the other spouse's work record. So let me repeat that. The Social Security will always you know, pay you the higher of any two benefits that you qualify for. They're going to look at your work record, and they're going to look at your, what your spousal benefit would be based on your spouse's work record. But there's a couple of different requirements. 
your spousal benefit will be reduced if you take it before your full retirement age. So again, you can claim benefits at 62 based on your spouse's work record, but if you claim at 62, that benefit's going to be reduced. You, you, you know, strongly, strongly encourage you to get to your, you know, full retirement age. The highest spousal benefit that you can receive is one half of the benefit that your spouse is entitled to receive at his or her full retirement age. So, you know, even though spouses can get a lower benefit if they claim before reaching their own full retirement age, they're not going to get a larger spousal benefit by waiting to claim you know, after their full retirement age, right? There's, there's no benefit waiting, you know, super, super, super long here. The other thing to remember is a non-working or a lower earning spouse may get a larger spousal benefit if the working spouse has some late career, higher earning years that boost their benefits. And it has to do with what you were talking about earlier, right? With those 35 highest paying years that social security is looking at. So, there's a lot of numbers getting thrown around. You talk about the financial calculator. I talk about kind of optimizing social security benefits. When I talk with people, some of the first numbers that I ask for, have you gone to ssa.gov and looked at your most current benefit estimates that SSA is giving you? If you don't have those numbers, this is just all a crapshoot, right? Go to ssa.gov, get those actual numbers so that when I'm talking with you or when you're talking with your planner, we know what those numbers are at 62, full retirement age, and age 70. If I am not a non-working spouse, if I am a working spouse and I have a good social security record based on my own income, but I am younger than my spouse asking for a friend, Is it going to be beneficial for me to claim at 62 a spousal benefit and then switch to my own record later on, or is that no longer allowed? Um, boy, that, that would have been great. Um, there were, there have been significant changes in the social security, um, programs, you know, really even within the last 10, 15 years. And it has to do with kind of at what age you were born before. And if you are able to claim spousal and then delay yours, this is where I go into those two most magical words of the English language. It depends. What you want to look at is kind of a full blown analysis for, your social security benefits, just as you, you know, your own work record, what the spousal benefit would be based, um, you know, on the spouse's work record, but for you. So we're actually looking at four numbers, right? Your work record, your spousal benefit, your spouse's work record, and then your spouse's spousal benefit. And once we have those numbers, what I'm able to do is basically look at a chart and say, this is what happens if you do this at 62 This is what happens if you do this at full retirement age or 70. What you're trying to do is maximize that lifetime benefit. But you, you know, we talked about this earlier. You have to keep in mind what your longevity potential is. You have to keep in mind kind of what your health issues are because you could have the most spectacular plan in place. But if things just aren't looking good and we're going to lose you at 64, 65, it could dramatically change what you need to consider for your social security. Andy, I want to dig into this more by bringing a guest onto the show. Her name is Marsha Mantel. And for nearly 30 years, she has helped financial firms and financial advisors 
increase their knowledge of how to deal with Social Security. She wrote a book called What's the Deal with Social Security for Women? And she's got a new book called Cooking Up Your Retirement Plan that mixes two of my favorite things, cooking and personal finance. And that's available now. Marsha's going to help us specifically with where women tend to get stuck and make the wrong moves when it comes to Social Security. Marsha, thank you so much for being here. I'm glad to see you. Thanks, Jean. Thanks for having me. I got to ask, cooking, personal finance, I mean, I have tried to mix the two. What made you put them together in this way? I I think it might be the hours I sometimes spend on Saturdays watching Food Network TV, Jean. And it really is about, you know how our industry is so laden with jargon and technical words and such, and we want everyone to come and join us in our party, but nobody does. So, So let's reverse engineer it. Let's get us into the kitchen with real people trying to make real decisions about really hard stuff. So it went that way. Well, I love it. Thank you. Um, We've been talking all show about Social Security and some basic guidance involving claiming strategies, but I know that when it comes to women, it's different. So what's the one big thing that women need to think about as we're heading towards Social Security age? It is your work history, if you can believe it. It's knowing how many years you've have of actual covered work, meaning you've paid into Social Security, because the magic behind your benefit is that you have 35 years of earnings, which is actually a lot of years. So many women, you know, Jean, we, we've popped in and out, right, of our careers for all these other obligations we also have. And by the time you realize what's happened, you're 60, you're 62, and it's like, oh, wait, I don't have 35 years. I don't have the best benefit I could possibly have. So they're caught off guard. And frankly, they're mad because they didn't know about it earlier when maybe they could have worked a couple years longer. So that's a really big number to know, to watch, and to make sure you know what your own work history is. And frankly, if you've been covered by a pension, like if you worked for the state or local government, Um, the teachers in 18 states who don't have Social Security, they get a pension instead. But that pension's only meaningful if you were a career person. So you have your 35 years essentially working for, you know, that, that organization. So you really have to get underneath this to know your own situation. And as Andy was saying, the best way to get a grip on what your situation is, is to go to ssa.gov and make sure that you are in the system and that you're paying attention to how your benefits have and will continue to accrue. There are a lot of women out there who have spouses. Why is it important to coordinate Social Security with a spouse if you've got one? And what's the best way to do that? Yeah, this coordination is sort of, um, what would we call it, a, a hidden word for talk to each other. Like, we have got to know what one another is doing. And in, in the spirit of being fun and having a spouse, you know, we're really busy, right? You don't always have this opportunity to sit down and talk to each other about something as exciting as Social Security claiming. But it's incredibly important. 
because you're trying to achieve a couple things when you're deciding about social security. The first is you want as much money as you can have from this income source coming into your household while you're both alive and having fun in retirement. But you also have to look at the other side of the coin here. That is what happens when only one of you is left. And you want to protect that surviving spouse and make sure they have as much money as possible because one benefit will drop off when the first person dies. So you want it to be the most money for your 80s, your 90s, when you reach 100. So what's the best way to do that typically? Uh, I recommend, we're back to the statement, right? Both of you set up your My Social Security accounts, pull down your statements and look at them because they'll be, in most marriages, there's a higher earner and a lower earner. And you want to know how much that higher earner is really important in the strategy here. How much income benefit will that person be able to bring into the household and then protect the lower earner? And then for the lower earner, will they have just their own benefit because they've worked long enough? Or do they get a spousal benefit? And then you get a spousal benefit even if you never worked, but you stayed married, you know, to the same person for a long time, you get half of what I call the anchor benefit. So you're entitled to 50% of, you know, if you're married to a man, 50% of his. And those are important numbers to know. So it is a matter of looking at the statement, mapping it out, who's bringing in what. And it gets into, as Andy was talking about before, the claiming strategy, not just for you, but for your spouse. Because if your spouse's benefit or half of your spouse's benefit is going to be more than your full benefit, it's really important to maximize that spouse's benefit. Yeah, it really is. And I use the term a spousal top up. So for whatever you've earned through your history, and let's just say it's a $1,000 is the benefit amount, you always get what you've earned. So let's make sure you're clear there. But if you had a really high earning spouse, and, and we'll just say he, for this example, and he is getting $3,000 as his anchor benefit, and you're getting $1,000, well, you're actually eligible for half of his as a calculation. So you're eligible for $1,500, not just your $1,000. So that $500 top up is really big money coming into a household. But the key is he has to be claiming before you can get your top up. So you're coordinated through Social Security anyway. We did a recent show on gray divorce for anybody who didn't hear it. You can go to everydaywealth.com or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll find it. How does divorce impact Social Security benefits? I mean, you mentioned being married for a long time. Yeah, there are two major factors. There are what I call the gating rules. You have to get over some hurdles to make sure you qualify as a divorced person to claim on your ex. But then you also have to know if you're the lower earner or the higher earner between the two of you. So the gating factors are you had to have been married for 10 consecutive years or longer. So with gray divorce, a lot of times, I mean, we're talking about couples who had been married 30, 35, 40 years and then calling it quits. So they qualify from that perspective. Each has to be 62 or older. The divorce has to have filed two years ago or longer, or the other person is claiming already, and you cannot be remarried. So if you meet those four requirements, 
then were you the lower or the higher earner? Well, if you're the lower earner, you're entitled to that same spousal top up that a married person would be because you had created this economic household, this financial household. So you're still able and eligible for half of his on a calculated basis. But that then brings up the higher spouse, the higher earning spouse. And they're often miffed or concerned that their benefit is going to be impacted. It's like, well, I have to give the big chunk to my ex-spouse. You don't. That's not how the rules work. If your benefit is $3,000, you get your $3,000. Call it a day. And if you remarried, your second spouse or third spouse is also entitled to spousal benefits if they otherwise are eligible. And does your second spouse have to be married or third to you for 10 years before they get it? No, just for one year. What about when your spouse dies? What's the deal for widows and widowers? Well, this is where you really see the power of that waiting longer to claim and getting your biggest benefit if you were the higher earner. Because what happens when the first spouse dies, the remaining spouse steps into the larger benefit. I talk about it, stepping into the shoes of that person. So if it's the husband who was the higher earner, getting that, we'll say $3,000 a month benefit, and he dies first, well, his spouse then loses their benefit, the lower benefit, and steps into the higher benefit. And this is a way of helping protect the household, which now there's only one person in it, but still protect that household from poverty, from having to make dramatic changes, you know, in your 80s or 90s. Um, and it, it's a very much a protection strategy. But Jean, I think you know as well, if you're a younger widow or a younger widower, you can also get Social Security survivor benefits if you have young children at home. So it's really important to know that. And that I find that to be the bigger surprise out there that, you know, someone who's say 40 and sadly becomes a widow, but has three little kids, you know, and while they're trying to figure out what's next here, they can get survivor benefits for themselves and for the children up to a certain maximum. All right. We've talked about married. We've talked about divorced. We've talked about widowed. Let's talk about singles. What do single women need to know? That the odds are really good they're going to have a very long retirement, Jean. I mean, we're talking 30 years for a lot of women, maybe longer, depending when you retire. So the importance you place on claiming your benefit, your social security benefit, is almost second to none that this is one of the most powerful and important financial decisions you're going to make for retirement because it's a guaranteed income stream. So you really want that income coming in and you need to know exactly where your income's coming from through all the decades of retirement. And knowing when to quit working is going to be one decision versus when to claim is a different decision. So it's very important and unmarried women in particular they tend to rely on Social Security for a much larger percentage of their income than married women. So it's a big decision. Huge decision. Any last words of advice, not just for women, but for men when it comes to Social Security? Yes. Well, back to the statement. I think that's your most powerful tool. And note that when you set up your My Social Security account, you see the statement, but you don't see your earnings history anymore. You have to pull that from a different link. So make sure you're looking at your complete earnings history. 
And then I know we didn't cover it here and, and you might have during the session, but I also want to say these headlines, the scary stuff that Social Security trust fund is going bankrupt, the trust fund is not going bankrupt. And it's serving to really unnerve people. There's a lot of noise and there will be for the next 10 years. It's a little savings account attached to the incoming dollars that is being used to pay benefits. And we do need to get that shored up. It's a law. Congress needs to take action. But please don't make knee-jerk reactions and make knee-jerk decisions thinking that this program is going bankrupt. Marsha, you are full of amazing information. Thank you so much for sharing it. And if our listeners want to find out more about you, what's the best way to do that? Hop over to my blog and website, boomerretirementbriefs.com. Thank you so much. And Andy Smith is back with me for some final thoughts about Social Security. We have covered a lot of ground on this show. Andy learned a lot about the nuances of Social Security for singles, couples, divorced, widowed, pretty much everybody. Are there any big aspects that we've missed that you think people need to think about? I really think people need to think about how they claim Social Security as it fits in their overall financial plan. And I say that because, you know, just delaying claiming Social Security benefits until 70, yeah, it can get you a higher benefit, but it also allows your IRA to kind of, um, you have some time to look at how the IRAs, the Roth IRAs, the brokerage accounts all are going to work together to create some sort of retirement income stream for you once you do stop working. And I say that because starting at retirement, you have to know where you're going to draw from, from all the different accounts, but you also have to remember social security and pensions, maybe some part-time income, all those things together. So we've talked about a lot. You have these ages in mind, 62, full retirement age, age 70. You have spousal benefits in mind. Now I'm going to add some complexity and say, oh yeah, hey, by the way, you also need to figure out what the heck you're going to do with all of these investment accounts that you have saved into for an absolute lifetime. So when you're working with your planner, when you're trying to do this on your own and figure out all this, you know, all these kind of strategies, you have to be able to look at different scenarios. What if I do this at this age with these accounts? But then you also, whatever tool that you're using or whatever tool that your planner is using, it needs to be sophisticated enough to look at that scenario against others at different ages, with different accounts, with different amounts and different strategies. So if you're trying to do this on your own, you're having some problems, I totally get it. Just talk with somebody who's not going to take advantage of you, who's going to be able to show these different scenarios because you get one chance to do this and you want to make sure that you, you, know, you step up to the plate and swing at absolutely the right pitch. The wild card in all of this is taxes, right? Yep. I mean, all of these, you are trying to draw on these income streams. You're trying to pull on these levers in the way that maximizes growth and minimizes taxes. And that's hard. Right. It's really hard. And so again, when I was talking about these different types of accounts, we'll do certain things with taxable accounts first up to a certain limit right, up to the standard deduction. Once your social security benefit starts, you know, we may consider reducing IRA withdrawals to limit the taxability of that benefit. We start looking at Roth IRAs, if there are any. 
Once the taxable accounts are exhausted, then we start looking at the Roths a little bit more heavily. Oh, and hey, by the way, there's this little thing called a required minimum distribution that you and I have talked about in the past, and you want to make sure that you know how that fits into everything as well. So it's not just the decision about when to claim Social Security. It's when to claim Social Security, how to account for taxes, and what to do with all these different component accounts that you have so that you're not blowing yourself up tax-wise and just and paying potentially more than you need to because you claim either claimed at the wrong time or you are pulling money out of the wrong accounts at the wrong time. Sounds like another show in the making, Andy. Thank you. We are gonna Absolutely. we're gonna put a pin in that. We're gonna come back to it. We're gonna definitely focus more on taxes in the future so that our listeners can keep more of their hard-earned money. Thank you so much for being here, as always. Absolutely. And a big thank you to Marsha Mantel as well. If you've got a question about Social Security, about planning your retirement income, or about taxes, we would love to hear from you. Just visit everydaywealth.com, scroll down to the section that is light blue, and click the button that says, Ask a Question. Type in your info, share what you'd like to know, and we might just read it on the next show. Be sure also to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast wherever you stream your favorite podcasts. If you're new here, just visit everydaywealth.com and you'll find all of our previous episodes as well. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon. You've been listening to Edelman Financial Engine's Everyday Wealth with Gene Chatsky. Edelman Financial Engines has been ranked by Barron's as the number one investment advisor in the country. If you've missed an episode or are interested in additional personal finance topics, be sure to subscribe to the Everyday Wealth Podcast. Our podcast library offers helpful insights on topics such as tax-efficient portfolios, retirement withdrawal strategies, investing, and financial planning, to name just a few. To learn more, visit our website, everydaywealth.com, or find our show wherever you stream your favorite podcast.